Welcome to our Faith in the Dark series as we're going through the Bible and we're looking at different characters highlighting the dark parts of their story. I know that sounds unusual because typically we highlight the best parts of the story. Typically we focus on the mountaintop moments. But what I'm doing, the purpose of this series is to focus on the darkest part of their stories. And in doing so, my hope is that we can be encouraged when we go through the dark seasons of our journey, not if, but when we go through the valley of the shadow. Tonight, we look at Jonah, and it's been a fascinating study for me, a convicting study for me, and I hope it's a fascinating, convicting, encouraging study for all of us tonight. What I found with the book of Jonah was that it was raw, it was honest, it was brutally honest. It is brutally honest. It's refreshingly honest, right? This is the unadulterated truth. This is the unfiltered images, right? The, this is real life found in the Bible. It's brutally honest and I just love the humanity of the Bible. The Bible is a divine book, but it's filled with flawed humanity. And Jonah is a great example of this. So what I want us to see tonight as we turn to the book of Jonah together is that Jonah sinks into the, the abyss. He descends into the void. He plummets into the pit. And I want to see how God responds, right? There's so much in this book. There's so many layers, so many messages, but how God responds to his disobedience with amazing grace. So I'm going to read starting in chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? 
Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that is, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let, let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me, barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began to Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is, this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. 
He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, said Jonah, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? The word of the Lord. What we see here in the book of Jonah, it's a fascinating story. It's a captivating story. That's why I read the whole thing from beginning to end, because it is a narrative. Typically, Jonah is unique among the prophets because usually God is speaking through his prophet to his people. But in Jonah, the story is about the prophet. And it's a incredible story. And it really is a bit of a enigma, right? When you see how other people responded to God in spite of Jonah, in spite of the man of God, how people responded with repentance to God. And it starts with a calling at the very beginning, the very first verses. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. He received a clear, undeniable calling. He didn't have to wonder. He didn't have to guess. It was clear. He knew what God wanted him to do. And the revelation of God's will was so clear that anything other was direct, blatant disobedience. It was blatant insubordination especially for a prophet, someone whose whose career was discerning the word of God, discerning and declaring the word of God. So Jonah had no doubt that God was calling him to do something specific. He had a specific assignment. God did not give him a multiple choice quiz. There is no debate or negotiation when God issues a command. It's not a suggestion to Jonah. It is a commandment to Jonah. 
And listen, the same thing is true for us. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when Jesus, this is the Jesus that I've been studying in the book of Revelation, right? This is the, the ascended, glorified, all-powerful Jesus. This is the Jesus with his face shining like the sun in all of its brilliance, where there is a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This is the Jesus that when he shows up, people fall on their faces. His glory sucks the breath from our lungs. Our knees buckle in the presence of his majesty. When Jesus gives an order, we obey, period. There is no debate. There is no negotiation. Well, God, I, you know, if, if, if I'll do, if I do this, it's not really what you're asking me to, and we justify, right? And we modify the plan of God based upon our dreams, based upon our desires. Jonah displays blatant insubordination. He doesn't just say no to God. He goes the opposite direction. So it'd be one thing if he said, nah, no thanks, I'm good, and just stayed where he's at. But he goes the complete opposite direction of Nineveh. (laughs) So he doesn't just say no, but he says, you know what? I'm going to actually do the opposite of what you told me to do. So it it really magnifies the insubordination of this prophet. Jonah says that he would rather die than repent. It's interesting here. You know, he could have dropped to his knees on that ship when he saw the storm and he knew why the storm was happening, right? You have these... Sailors, these are pagan sailors. Sailors today have a reputation, right, uh, for maybe having a wild lifestyle. And it was even more so then, right? So these pagan sailors that have this reputation for wild living, right, they are rowing for their lives. They're, they're chunking stuff overboard, right? They're throwing their cargo, which is their livelihood, which is their reputations. Their careers, they're throwing it all overboard and they are straining at the oars. And where is the man of God? He's taking a nap below deck, right? Asleep. Oh my goodness. This in and of itself could be such a message for the people of God. When when there's crisis on, when there's crisis on the deck of the ship, when when these, when, when there's pagan people, pagan nations, non-Christians that are in crisis, they're in turmoil, and there's the storm is threatening to rip the boat apart, and yet the church is below deck taking a nap. The church is sitting this one out. The church is asleep, and the captain goes down and wakes up Jonah, and Jonah knows, right? He could have stopped the storm. He could have stopped the storm in a moment if he had have repented, but he still refused to repent. Even even in the face of the storm, here's one thing that I really want us to get, okay? That our disobedience can have serious implications on the people around us, right? These these sailors, uh, they were in the storm not because they disobeyed, 
but they were caught up. They just happened to be in the blast zone of Jonah's disobedience. And yet their lives were in danger. Their livelihoods were in danger because of Jonah's disobedience. The sailors were in the blast zone of Jonah's insubordination. And it's interesting to note here, like Jonah didn't voluntarily jump overboard. He could have, right? But he made them do it, right? Even there, that stubborn resistance. You know what? All you have to do is throw me overboard and the storm will stop. Why didn't he just jump overboard? He was still resistant. And it's interesting to note what happened. After Jonah left, revival broke out. (laughs) So you'd think that this prophet would preach a sermon, like this prophet would go Billy Graham on these pagans, and they would drop to their knees, and the choir would be singing, Just as I am, just as I am, without one plea. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and people are flooding down the... Uh, They're flooding down the aisles, coming to the altar. No, (laughs) that's not how it happens. They evict the preacher and his absence results in revival. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Again, this is just such a bizarre story in many ways. Jonah thinks that he is dead, right? We have the benefit of hindsight, right? We know that this fish is going to come along. Jonah did not. He was living this in the moment. And so he was thrown overboard and in the middle of this terrible storm, right? So he's he's floating in a hurricane, right? And thinking that he is dead, like he is, his whole life is flashing in front of his eyes here. And he begins to sink below the surface. And I can just picture Jonah, these massive waves and the lightning and the thunder and the rain, right? I can just picture Jonah, he's thrashing around and he takes one last big gulp of air before he goes under and he's surrounded by darkness. And Jonah graphically describes in chapter two, this darkness that is surrounding him, that is pressing in on him. Jonah is drowning in darkness, and yet God rescued him. God rescued him. He says in chapter 2 that I called out to you. Jonah calls out to the Lord from the land of the dead. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. I sank beneath the waves. The waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. I mean, this is a graphic description of Jonah's near-death experience. So he is about to die in his disobedience, but God intervened. Jonah had no idea that God had appointed a well to swallow him. It's so interesting in this story that a fish was more obedient than a prophet. <laughs> I mean, just just imagine if the fish had have done what Jonah did, right? If the fish had have said, you know what? 
God, you're calling me to go swallow this human, uh, but I have better things to do. And if the fish swam in the opposite direction, but the fish here, even the obedience of the fish is a rebuke to the prophet. Sometimes our darkness is self-inflicted. You know, this series, Faith in the Dark. And this is perhaps one of the darkest moments that we've, this is perhaps one of the darker moments that we've looked at thus far in this series. Because Jonah is, he's in the darkness of rebellion. He is in the darkness of disobedience. He is in the storm, literally. And then he is sinking below the surface. So it's darkness inside of darkness. And his darkness just happens to be self-inflicted. Let me provide a bit of a disclaimer here before I go further. Now, I'm not here to create false guilt in your life. Churches have are notorious for this, right? And I include myself in that as a representative of the church, as a, as a preacher, as a ministry leader. Churches are notorious for guilt-tripping people in an attempt to motivate behavior modification, right? So we use guilt as a tool to modify behavior. And my goodness, that is not the gospel. That is, uh, that, that is what Jesus came to deconstruct, right? Uh, he, he didn't come to add to our burdens. He came to take them away. So I'm not here to unload a boatload of condemnation on you, right? Because I know the enemy. I know his voice well. Um, and that, that whisper, that, that whisper of condemnation, right? He is the accuser. He is the father of lies. And so he speaks all the time that it's your fault, that it's your fault, that you deserve this, that you are damaged goods, that God could never love you because of what you've done or what's been done to you that you are beyond the grace of God. And that is not biblically possible. The cross is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for every struggle and every sin and every regret. However, with Jonah, it is a self-inflicted darkness, right? Some of us, some of you are running from God and he will never stop chasing you, right? He'll never stop chasing you And there is this, you think that in running from God, you're going to find some satisfaction, but it's self-inflicted misery. You end up with this conviction, with this weight, with this burden, right? That you know that there's something else that you're supposed to be doing with your life. You know that there's something more significant that you're supposed to be a part of. And yet you walk away and we cling to our plans as we sacrifice his. What Jonah teaches us is that we don't have, we don't have to drown in order to experience, in order to experience God. We don't have to have a near-death experience. If we just stop where we're at, God is already there. Now, Nineveh was not somewhere Jonah wanted to go, right? So this was not a good career move for Jonah. This was not a safe place. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which was notoriously dangerous and evil. Again, this is not Israel. This is not God's people. God is sending his prophet to 
an enemy of Israel. And so Jonah is called out by God to go to a place that he would never have chosen for himself. Sometimes, listen, sometimes God's will is incredibly dangerous. To put this into perspective, it would be similar to God calling someone from North America to go and preach in North Korea. Now, can you imagine, especially if you're a parent like I am, if your child, if your teenage child or if your young adult child came to you and said, I just can't shake it. I feel like God wants me to go to North Korea to be a missionary. Now, how many of us would just slow clap? Yes. You know what? I'll help buy your plane ticket. Now, I, honestly, it would be very difficult uh, for us to support something that we knew could lead to the death of someone that we love. What if, what if someone came to you? What if someone in your church said, I just can't shake it, right? God has gripped my heart to go to Afghanistan and share the gospel with the Taliban. That seems bizarre. Why would God ever do something like that? And so we've been indoctrinated with this North American version of Christianity that has made an idol of safety. If it isn't completely safe, then it automa- we automatically dismiss it as outside of the will of God. Because why would God ever put us in harm's way? I've heard, it, I've heard people say that the safest place to be is in the middle of God's will, but that simply isn't biblical. The best place to be is in the middle of God's will. The best place to be, but it probably won't be the safest place. Some of us need to repent of making an idol of safety. Sometimes God's plan seems like foolishness. God called him to do something that he never would have chosen for himself. And you see the grace of God here, right? Where God provided a fish <laughs> to, re- to rescue him. God intervened by his grace. God had other prophets, right? God could have moved on, right, to the, <laughs> the alternate prophet, right? That this other prophet got called off the bench because of Jonah's disobedience. But God refused to give up on Jonah and the fish swallowed him. And it was, it was in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea where Jonah finally came to the end of himself. And honestly, I don't know how authentic, you know, this prayer that he prays And he's worshiping God from the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea. But when you read the rest of the story, I question the authenticity even. You know, God has to know that, right? God sees our hearts. God doesn't hear our words. He hears our hearts. And yet God still rescues him. (laughs) He could have died in the belly of the well. That well could have been his casket. And yet God commanded the well to vomit the prophet onto the beach. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh man. I'm laughing because I've been there. Haven't you? Where you run from God clinging to your plans, my plans, my desire, right? I'm going to do, I'm going to do it my way. Jonah is covered in the previous meals of this whale. (laughs) And he's walking down the beach towards Nineveh. 
So this is not a highlight of his life. This is probably not part of the story that he would have included if it was up to him. Again, that's why I love the Bible, the humanity of it, the reality of it, right? This is brutally honest, offensively honest. And then God does this, right? In chapter 3, verse 1, and this is an incredible declaration of God's grace. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's grace, right? Go to the great city of Nineveh, and he gets the exact same calling. After all of that, right? After all of the unnecessary drama, right? God doesn't give Jonah a lesser assignment because of his disobedience, right? Isn't that encouraging that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time? And I know for me, it's the word of the Lord came to John, you know, a 50th time, a 500th time. The word of the Lord came to you for the thousandth time, right? And I don't think it's God that, I don't think God stops calling. I think we stop listening and we eventually tune out his voice. And that is a terrifying place to be. And how do we prevent that? By responding the first time when God calls, by trusting him and saying, God, I don't understand what you're leading me to do, but I am going to step out in faith and I'm going to preempt future regret by present obedience. Present obedience preempts future regret where you don't have to wonder what might have been. You don't have to wonder what should have been. Right. And so if you're in, if you're, if you're a student listening to this and you're in school, you need to be praying about what God has for your life. Not just what you want, not just what your parents want, not what your teachers want, not what your coaches want, not what your boyfriend or girlfriend wants, not what your friends want, not what the culture and these, these cultural expectations that we put on your life. But what does God want for you? What is God calling you to do? And at the end of the day, obedience to God supersedes every other, every other authority in our lives. It should. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches the shortest sermon in the Bible. <laughs> the brother's heart isn't in it, right? And you see that later in the story where he just, he just wants to see God light these pagans up. Right. So he's basically going not for their salvation. He's going for this kind of this sick desire, this twisted desire to see God rain fire down on Nineveh, the enemy of God's people. You know, so Jonah is assuming that these Ninevites are going to reject the word of God. And so his sermon is five words in the Hebrew. Right? There's not... You know, so he, he walks a day into the city, stands up on a bucket in the street. Right? And I mean, this is, this is as, as far away from emotional manipulation, spiritual manipulation that you can get, right? That the spirit of God brings conviction, not just on a person or on a, handful of people, but on a city of 120,000, revival breaks out 
in spite of the preacher. <laughs> oh my goodness. And how does Jonah respond? Does Jonah applaud God's compassion? No. No. Jonah throws a tantrum. Jonah is a pouting prophet. Jonah is a melancholy missionary. <laughs> And he throws a tantrum and he stomps his foot in anger at his heavenly father and wants to die multiple times here, right? In this, in these four chapters, multiple times, Jonah wants to die, right? This, this guy isn't in a good place. And yet God uses him to save a city. So you don't, you know, this, this whole thing of I gotta wait till I get my junk together before I can be used by God. Or I gotta, I, you know, I gotta wait until I get all my, all, you know, I gotta get all my stuff figured out. No. Because it's not, it's, it does, it's not about me. Right? If we're waiting until we get all of our, you know, all of our problems are solved. If we're waiting until, you know, the sun comes out, right? If, if we're li living in this cloud, well, well we're going to wait the rest of our lives, right? Jonah was not in a good place, and yet God used him to bring revival to a city in spite of his depression, in spite of his, you know, kind of these suicidal um, thoughts that he was having. He'd rather die. I find great comfort from this story because I have often felt like Jonah, this reluctance towards obedience. There's a tendency to, to dismiss what God is saying or to modify it and to go our own way, right? And it's not that we outright reject God, right? It's that we, we choose how to serve God, right? Based on my strengths, based on my education, based on my financial situation, this is what I can do for you, God. And that's not the way it works, right? God calls us to things that requires him to accomplish. That's why it's called faith. Jonah was called by God to do something that he never would have chosen for himself. And I'm sure after he told his family, right, he went home and told his wife, hey, guess what? We're moving to Nineveh. <laughs> I don't think his wife would have been happy, right? He told his kids, hey, guess what, right? Uh, I know you guys are in school and it's halfway into the year and you have friends and you're established, but we're uprooting and moving to Nineveh. So it's <laughs> no one would have supported this. You know, Jonah went back to his church and said, listen, I think God has told me to move to Nineveh. And his peers in ministry would have tried to talk him out of it, right? Well, look at all the good you could do, Jonah, if you stayed where you're at. Think about your spouse, Jonah. Think about your wife. Think about your kids. What are you doing for them? What are you doing to them? What good is it, brother, if you win the city of Nineveh but lose your family? Well, you can't afford this. If you go to Nineveh, no one's going to hire you because you're going to be tainted. You're going to be damaged goods. You're that prophet that went to Nineveh. And yet God wanted him to go. God clearly called him to go. And at the end of the day, we have to live with our decisions. We have to live with ourselves. When you lay your head down on the pillow at night, I need to know 
that I am doing what God has asked me to do. And who knows when that day will come when I'm when, when God calls me home. But I don't want to sit there in my final moments thinking about what I should have done or how God could have used me. And we can preempt massive future regret, crushing future regret, haunting future regret by being obedient now. God used Jonah in spite of his disobedience, and he has used me in spite of my disobedience. The sulking Jonah left a legacy of revival. (laughs) It's amazing, right? Think about those pagan sailors that that accept that that committed to serve the Jonah's God. Right? God redeemed Jonah's disobedience. Those sailors would have not encountered God if not for Jonah's disobedience. And think of them going home and telling the story of this Hebrew God that brought this storm and then that saved their lives. And Jonah was a part of their testimonies. <laughs> Think of the, the children and the grandchildren of these sailors. Uh, the, the eternal trajectory of, of their lives was, was impact, impacted by Jonah's disobedience. So that's an encouraging thought, right? That there's, there's never a plan B when it comes to God. Right? Some of you are in your 20s, some of you in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you think, well, you know, years ago I had an opportunity and I walked away. No, God's grace is always a breath away. Where again, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and I believe the word of the Lord will again come to you. There is no happily ever after at the end of the story. We have Jonah right? Um, Pouting on a hill, uh, mad at God, throwing a tantrum. And this is the last reference that we have to Jonah, right? We don't know what happened to him after this. The Bible doesn't tell us. The next time Jonah is mentioned is by Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. Let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus just verifies the entire book of Jonah. Jesus uses Jonah as a sermon illustration. Jesus uses Jonah as a way of communicating the gospel before it actually happens. And he says, in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the well, right? And was rescued from death because of God's divine intervention. So the son of man, he's talking about himself. 
right? That's a, that's a messianic title that Jesus uses about himself. So the son of man shall be buried for three days. Listen, he says, if the the wicked people of this pagan nation, if they repented at the preaching of a pounding prophet, how much more should we repent at the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ? The, the grace that was available to Jonah is abundantly more accessible to us because of Jesus Christ. And so how will we respond? to what Jesus has done, to the resurrection of Jesus. God used a pouting prophet. God used a fish. God used a plant. God used a worm. The worm was obedient to the word of the Lord. God can use you if we are open to and obedient to his will. So the prayer that we need to pray as we close is not my will be done, but your will be done. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed. He prayed, God, if, it be, if, it's, if, it's, if it's at all possible to avoid the agony, then please, God, if there's another way, then make it happen. But not my will, but your will be done. Not my plans, not my dreams, but his will, his plans, his dreams. At the end of the day, we will all be held accountable for how we respond to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Jonah and how (laughs) shockingly honest, refreshingly honest it is. And I find great comfort from his humanity. And that if you could use a person like that, then you can use anyone. And so for those that have been running from you for days, weeks, months, years, decades, that they would stop, stop their running, stop their striving, and surrender their plans for just the tattered pieces of our plans that we cling, that we grip with white knuckle intensity. No matter what, we're going to do it our way. We're going to prove to others that we can do it. Help us to repent, God, of our pride, of our independence, and to embrace your plan. For some, Lord, that are listening to this, that are watching this, you have been calling them to special service, and they have consistently, they have persistently walked away. Lord, and it it means that the math doesn't add up. But you're you're calling them anyway. That they don't have the support, but you're calling them anyway. That others will see it as foolish, but you are calling them anyway. And so for those that you're calling to missions, Uh, perhaps to serve in other cultures, in other countries, in dangerous places, that they would step out no matter what, right? And follow you with reckless abandonment, not with reluctant obedience, as Jonah did, but with a, a passionate obedience. And Lord, for all of us on every level, just what you're calling us to 
You're calling us to give our money to, to us when we don't seem to have it to give. And yet you're calling us to give it anyway. Help us to be obedient. Say, God, we're going to give and trust that you're going to provide. Lord, just even with where we live, students that need to pray and hear from you about if they should go to university and if so, where. It's not just about what their parents want. It's not just about what programs the school offers. It's about what you want, God, where you want them. God, forgive us for so often handing you our plans for your stamp of approval. Rather, we come empty-handed and say, God, not my will, not my dreams, but your will be done for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.